Our parable reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for their usual daily wage, he sent them out into his vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock, he saw others standing in the marketplace looking for work. And he said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And again, about five o'clock, he went out and found others waiting for work. And he said to them, why are you standing here all day? Then they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said, you also go to the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call in the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those who were hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last, the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have this funny little parable this morning. And it starts, The kingdom of heaven is like a householder, a man who went to the market about 6 a.m. to recruit some workers for the day. He found a few able-bodied men and women and agreed with them for the usual, fair, daily wage, and off they all went to go pick grapes in his vineyard. Now a bit later in the day, sometime around 9 a.m., the man realized he needed more help in order to get the harvesting done, so he returns to the marketplace for a second time. And when he arrived, he found a few more workers there looking for a job to do. Now, who knows why they weren't there at 6 a.m.? I mean, maybe they had children at home that needed to be dressed and fed and gotten off to school in the morning. But whatever the reason, they were there at 9 a.m., they were looking for a job, and this householder says, come and work for me. I'll pay you whatever is fair. And the workers agree, and off they go to pick grapes in the vineyard. Now, throughout the day, this vineyard owner strolls back to the marketplace looking for more help for his harvest at noon, at 3 o'clock, and even at 5 p.m., just an hour before closing time. And in each case, the vineyard and the workers agree, we'll help with your harvest in return for whatever is fair. And we might assume it's sort of the usual daily rate, wage prorated for the number of hours the person actually worked. Now, 6 p.m. rolls around, and the bells toll out across the vineyard, and the workers are bringing in their heavy, grape-laden baskets to be collected. And the vineyard owner says to his human resources director, line them all up here from the last to the earliest so that we can pay them. 
And the workers line up, 5 o'clock and then 3 o'clock, noon and 9 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the back, waiting for their appropriate wage. And as they come forward, the HR director does something a little surprising. She hands those 5 o'clock workers a full day's wage. Not the one hour worth of pay that they were expecting, but a full day's wage. And then again, the 3 o'clock workers come forward and she hands them a full day's wage. It's the same again with the noon and the 9 a.m. workers. Everyone gets a full day's wage, no matter how many hours they actually worked. Now finally, all the people who were left waiting were those 6 a.m. hires, the faithful few who had actually put in a full day's work, 12 long, hot hours of picking. These workers were sweaty and exhausted, and if they were honest with themselves, they were a little excited because everyone else got more than they had expected, and so they were expecting to be paid even more than a single day's wage. But much to their dismay, they get to the front of the line and the HR director hands each of them a check for a single day's wage. Exactly what they had agreed to at 6 a.m., but not what they had come to expect. Now these 6 a.m. workers were absolutely enraged by this. They shouted back at that vineyard owner, how dare you do this to us? We worked all day for you. We were out there for 12 hours in the hot burning sun, we burned the back of our necks, and we broke our backs picking your grapes. You paid those other workers, those lazy layabout workers who did not give you a full day's work, you paid them more than they deserved. So where is our fair share? Pay up. And the vineyard owner responds to them, I haven't done anything wrong here. We agreed, did we not? that you would work for a full day's wage. Yes, we agreed. So take your money and go. It's not your place to tell me what to do with my money, how to spend it, or what deals I decide to strike with the other workers. Aren't I allowed to do with my money as I wish? Are you angry with me because I was generous to them? Just take your money and go. Now one of the things that's funny about stories in the New Testament is that we'll often read them, and then I'll sort of retell them for us to hear, and then we'll spend some time talking about what it could possibly mean, how we're supposed to hear it. And that's great, but with this particular story, a few weeks ago I was reading the newspaper, and right there in black and white on the page was the parable of the laborers in the vineyard exactly interpreted into a modern context. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about, but just happening today. So I thought instead of telling you what you should think about this parable, instead I'm going to tell you the story of Dan and his business Gravity Payments, which is almost exactly a one-to-one -one parallel for this story, so that you can hear how people back in Jesus' day might have heard this parable initially. So here is the parable of the boss and his workers, as retold for 2015. So the kingdom of heaven is like a man named Dan. Dan started his own business called Gravity Payments. It's in Seattle. He started it when he was in college and the business became more and more successful and it's been open for a number of years now. They're a credit card processing company, so they're the people when your card gets swiped, 
that actually do the little behind-the-scenes work to make sure everyone gets paid appropriately. Now, Dan was a pretty thoughtful guy. He's well-liked in his community. And the people who used his business liked him because he provided a bit of local flair to what is normally a pretty impersonal business interaction. All the vendors down at the Pike Place Market in downtown Seattle use Dan's gravity payments. The fish guys and the flower lady and the kid who sells the magazines in foreign languages from all over the world, they all use Dan's gravity payment to process credit cards. And everyone was pretty happy about it. Now, Dan has many workers in his company, everyone from graphic designers and computer programmers, office administrators, financial advisors, receptionists, and even loading dock workers. There are many people who work for him, 120 in total. And everyone, at least they used to be, was paid fairly according to what convention and the general marketplace says is a fair wage for the labor you are offering. As a CEO, Dan was making a million dollars a year running his company. The graphic designers and computer programmers were pleased with their low six-figure salaries. The receptionist and the dock workers were making due with about $30,000 a year. Although, for those employees, many of them did not live in Seattle proper. They lived many miles away and had a long commute because it's just not affordable to be in city limits on $30,000 a year. So Dan was running this company and things were going fine. And then one night, Dan went out and had dinner with a friend of his from college. She worked at a different company and lived elsewhere. And in her job, she was making $40,000 a year. And she told Dan what a pinch she was feeling trying to live on that salary and make ends meet. She talked about trying to afford rent in a medium-priced city, going out and buying groceries, paying car and health insurance, and then on top of that, having to repay her student loans from college. She talked about how she could make, it meet, make ends meet, but very, very barely. There was nothing left over for savings or retirement. And Dan was surprised by this. Because having come straight out of college, running his own business, Dan had never made only $40,000 a year. He had made far more, and he wasn't aware of how people were living. So one day, not long after this conversation, Dan called his human resources director and told her to gather together all of the employees. He was going to make an announcement. And Dan made his employees a new deal. Every person who worked for him, from the least on up, everyone would make at least $70,000 a year at his company. From the dock worker and the receptionist on up, everyone would make at least $70,000. And to make sure that his other employees felt appreciated, if they were already making more than $70,000 a year, Dan offered everyone else a raise as well. Maybe not as large as some of those lowest paid workers, but he was trying to show them that he appreciated them as well. He told his people that in order to cover this drastic change to company policy, Dan would be cutting his own salary from a million dollars a year down to 70000 as his lowest paid workers were, and that the company would also start taking a bit from their profits in order to make sure that this would work. He stood in front of his employees and was quoted in the New York Times as saying, I'm not doing this to make you happy. I'm doing it because it's the right thing for me to do. 
Now, that decision was made last spring, and some time has passed, and things have started to change at Dan's company. Some of them were for the good. A dock worker told Dan that he could now afford to purchase a desperately needed new set of tires for his clunker of a car that he needed in order to get to work from his house well outside of the city. Another woman, a receptionist, told Dan that she could now afford to buy plane tickets to go and see her mother who lives in the Midwest, a trip that she had not been able to afford for several years, and she was so looking forward to seeing her mom again. The company was flooded with requests to use their credit card processing product because other companies were so impressed with what they were doing. The New York Times said that their biggest issue in this whole scheme is that they actually don't have enough employees to deal with the number of requests that they're now getting. Now other changes started to happen and they were a bit harder for people to understand. The first is that Dan himself, who lived in the neighborhood, Ballard, where his company is located, realized that Ballard was far too expensive for someone to actually live on $70,000 a year. And that might sound um, a little crazy because we live in a much lower cost of living area, but having lived in Seattle, Ballard really is a neighborhood where it would be hard to afford housing and food on $70,000 a year. And so Dan, in order to make his own ends meet, ended up opening up his house for several rent-paying roommates and sort of started living like he was in his early 20s again in order to not lose his house on his lower salary. A few of the older customers of Dan's business started to worry that perhaps in order to afford these salaries, the company was going to raise the price of their product, and they worried, could they stay with Gravity Payments? Now, there were other changes, too, that were probably the hardest for the company to weather. There was one woman, Maisie, who was a financial advisor. She had worked at the company for many years, over five years. She was quoted in the New York Times as saying that she had worked long weekends and stayed late in the evenings, that she had ignored her own family to sort of deal with the needs of this company. She was very committed. She was one of the first employees. Now, Maisie was already feeling somewhat stressed when this decision was made. And then when this decision was made, it was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for her. She was upset that the lowest paid employees in the company were given raises that amounted to well over 100%, whereas the higher paid employees, herself included, were given far smaller raises as an overall percentage. Maisie and Dan got into a bit of a fight over this, and she quit. Not entirely because of this one issue, but that was part of what went into her decision. There was another man who was quoted in the article, Grant. He's a computer programmer. And in this great changeover, he ended up receiving a 75% raise. But he complained to the New York Times that these raises encouraged people to simply clock in and clock out, to not be hard workers who care about the company. He said to them, quote, these raises shackle the highest performers to the least motivated. However, he said his pay was good enough, he had to stay there because he couldn't get another job paying quite so much for his skills. Other business owners in the Seattle community began to complain that if Dan was paying his employees so much, everyone else would start expecting similar salaries. Across the United States, when this article broke, there were radio and television personalities on both sides, sometimes people saying that this was a great social experiment and it was going to change the world, and other people's 
decrying Dan's company as a hotbed of socialism that was going to ruin the Seattle market. There was much commentary on all sides of this issue. And the fact is that in this particular story, the jury is still out on what's going to happen with Dan and with gravity payments. It still remains to be seen in the next few years ahead whether he can continue to pay these salaries to his employees and make enough money with the product that he's selling for it to be a sustainable business model. Time will tell. But here's the deal with parables, as Jesus' audience would have heard 2,000 years ago, or that we might hear when we pick up a newspaper today. Parables are supposed to be challenging to us. They should provoke a number of different responses. We should be a little off balance, not entirely sure how to interpret what's happening. They should make us feel a bit uncomfortable, like we don't know how they're going to end or precisely what Jesus might be asking. John and I were talking about this parable the other day, and he sort of described it as like, you know, it feels like Jesus comes up and like pokes you in the eye and then runs away, and you're like, I don't know what just happened. What am I supposed to think about this weird poke in the eye that just happened? I think Jesus, when he's telling the parables to his first audience, when we read them in scripture today, or when we find parallels in our own world, they're supposed to be something for us to grapple with, for us to think about. And so I'm not going to tell you what you should think about this parable of the laborers or about this particular parallel that we have. I'll just leave you with what Jesus actually says here. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a business owner who goes out and hires people and pays them all enough to be considered a daily wage, no matter how much they worked or necessarily what kind of work they did. And so for us today, this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. So thanks be to God. Amen.